The Timeless Podcast Company present this podcast. In immersive sound design. As we began to research and create this podcast, we recognized early on the significant contribution of Grim Reaper, also known as MF Grim. And talking to members of the CM fam like Curious George, Cotty, Prince Power Rule, as well as legends like Ben Klingon and Keo, became more evident that MF Grimm needed more than just his recollections over several episodes. It would be only right to allow him to share his story on his terms with his own special episode. You know, we talk about giving people their flowers in hip-hop culture and giving them their flowers while they are still here to smell them. In keeping with that tradition, we at the Timeless Podcast Company are proud to present MF Grimm in his own words. A special episode of Did I Ever Tell You The One About MF Doom? Did I Ever Tell You The One About MF Grimm? Percy Carey, a.k.a. Grimm, grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He got his first taste of the entertainment business at five years old. When he became a child actor on Sesame Street, thanks to the help of his neighbor, Morgan Freeman. As he grew up into his teens, he got into rhyming, and by 1993, he was entering battles such as the New Music Seminar Battle for World Supremacy, where he placed third. That same year, he would release his first 12-inch as the Grim Reaper, alongside his DJ, the legendary Rock Raider. But it would be his time working with Doom that would eventually lead him to changing his name to MF Grimm, sharing the prefix with his rhyme partner, Doom. Doom and Grimm found themselves growing closer to each other even more so than the other people who used to hang out at Curious's crib. Grimm provided support for Doom, who was dealing with the loss of his brother, DJ Subrock, as well as his departure from Electra Records, while Doom would provide the musical direction and what the two would come up with. His years in KMD had given him the experience that most of the people in Apartment 6G hadn't had yet. Together, the two would also form the Monster Island Zars crew, to expand on the work they were creating together and bringing in more MCs. Between the times of like 1991 and 1994, Doom and I experienced a lot of things, like from figure out what we're gonna do, like music-wise, like, cause he was a senior more so music-wise, you know, he already had experience. He knew what to do. Me, I'm more strategics of, how I just see business. So we were just formulating more so 91, getting equipment, you know, coming up with concepts. Like he already had stuff, he's doomed. He already had concepts that he was putting together. He was really helping me develop who I was going to become more so. You know, like I had a little bit of experience being around, for instance, you know, Sun and G-Rap and things of that nature, but really coming into my own, it was with Doom. And we did everything together, man. Like from hanging out in the streets to going to studios, to flying out to Cali or around and learn how to do business. The greatest music I ever heard, I was always surrounded by Doom. Whether it was a sample, whether it was just listening to musicians, he was always, as far as I'm concerned, advanced. Always viewed him as, um, I say like, um, John Coltrane, he was like John Coltrane to me, man. Like, he was just 
so far beyond. I've absorbed so much being around him. It helped me come into my own. But besides that, it was just really hustling, you know, any type of hustling. Like, get we have to make it happen. Let's make it happen, you know. But he was always focused on music. He was always, you know, he always, with his fingers, he always used to do this little tap with his fingers, man. And I knew he was creating, whether he had equipment or not. He was creating, he was making things. And it was just amazing, like, to be with him. And we could go by, like, a walk by somebody selling stuff in the street. Man, be a scratched up, broken record, piece missing and everything. And he would take that record and find exactly something. And, and it's like heaven sent, man. So I got experience being around him no matter where. And he would just turn something out of nothing, basically. Those early 90s years would be a learning experience for both Doom and Grimm, closing chapters that were behind them and trying to figure out where they were headed next. Both had a hustler's mentality of survival, but while one had a foot more into music, the other had his foot more into the streets. And it would be in the streets where something tragic happened that would change Grimm's life forever. after I got shot by 94, so around 94. In between that time, we really just hustled hard. We hustled hard and tried to figure out what to do with our life. But he led the way. Some time it went by, music was made, and eventually the release of the MF Doom and MF Grimm EP happened. The EP came about because Papa D thought it would be a great idea for us to do it. Doom literally um, put it all together in the sense of picking out, selecting his songs and selecting the songs that I was gonna put on there as well. So Doom put all of that together. He put all of that together and that was at Doom's house when he was living uptown in Manhattan, you know? So he's up there, he's, you know, got the Heineken in the hand. That's, that's, that was literally his spot, you know? And I, we decided, like, you know, because we were both up there, but then decided I'd go downstairs and take a picture up and, you know, get all fancy and shit. It was, but it was fun. It was fun. That was a funny day. Because, yeah, we were, we, were, we were just running around doing so much. And it was like, oh, shit, we got to go do this for the EP shit. And we ran back to his house, did that shit. Then we went out. I think we went to the studio right afterwards. Shit, but... That's, that was the type of, that was, a, that was a normal day with Doom, you know? Ultimately, the streets caught up to Grimm's lifestyle and Grimm wound up doing time. With Grimm being incarcerated and off the scene, it created some tension between the two of them. Grimm started to suspect things weren't exactly what they were supposed to be on the business side of the music they had made. As their relationship strained, fans started to notice the distance between the two started reading into the music and art that was coming out. We had a little fallout, we had a discrepancy, and initially it was over money, but that wasn't his fault. Um, the record company, they put some um, language in his contract that really um, messed him up too. He suffered just as much as I did. I was wrong about that. Yeah, it was in a song where he mentions the name um, Midgets and Crunk. But he was using that to um, say M-I-C. And, but it was really a jab at 
the artist that he put down with MIC. But when I heard it, I was very emotional about it. When I got it, I got it from the people, and they were, you know, laughing. Ah, you know, dude, you guys, midgets and crunk, and you know, just silly shit. But MIC was started by people in the streets as well. You know, there was people that they died. They're no longer here. Um, you know, like Jay Black and Eve St. Barack and even Sub, Sub is member of MIC. So I, I was a little taken back on why he would do that, but that wasn't his direction. He wasn't talking about all of them. So I kind of just lashed out, but I kind of jumped the gun, but he understood because he didn't supposed to get that far. You know, we, we, we talked about it. We made up over it. There was a lot of things that were said that shouldn't have been said. And, you know, it was a lot of verbiage going back and forth and stuff like that. But we, we squashed that and, you know, we hugged it out with brothers. And like I was saying before, there's people that they were going thinking that his album covers was about me. There's a small person under the, under the table with a mask on and they're like, yo, that's MF Grimm. And he's saying that, you know, he's, he's a little version of him. And it's like, no, that's that's Lord Dahul. That's that's his son who used to wear his mask all the time. And, you know, there was photos of him wearing the mask and stuff. But people will take what they want and do say what they want. So, you know, there, it became like, even though we were cool, they were thinking that songs he would make is about me and songs I made was about him. And, and it had nothing to do with it, you know? And meanwhile, we talked to each other, you know, so we was always good. But yeah, people, outsiders, yeah, they view it different. With the beef behind them, Grim and Doom continued on as the friends they had always been. But it wasn't as easy to pick up back where they left off. Years had gone by and lives had now been transformed. Doom was now an international star with fans from all walks of life, while Grim had gotten into television and comics even being nominated for an Eisner Award, all while being confined to his wheelchair. After that period, we have we didn't see each other. Like, I was moving around, and he was just all around the, the world. He was just going around the world. Um, I have a lot of restrictions, so I, I wasn't able to go see him regardless. Like I'm, I, you know, I had a lot of legal restrictions. I'm, I'm not allowed in a lot of countries and, you know, and sh shit like that. So I was going through other aspects of life and I was, I got into film and television, comic books, and, you know, I started winning awards and being nominated for stuff. And I really dived into that. And he was really focused on what he needed to focus on. We didn't connect in that level of direct or, face-to-face -face or anything. It would just be passing. Like, you know, if he was with Curious or if he was with, you know, Keo or somebody that we know, it's like, hey, what's up? You know, hey, tell, or, or hey, tell him I said peace. You know, we just, we, bro, just brothership. And we didn't, we wasn't on each other on about music. Like, hey, Doom, I, you gotta record. We gotta record. Or, or Grim, you gotta record. We, we know what we did. We know what we started. And we knew how we felt about each other. But it was at the point now that, you know, he, he was already who he was in the sense of he was working, doing albums with uh, multiple people. We already did what we did. 
in that sense. And he, he took MF to shit I couldn't do. Um, also, you know, being paralyzed, getting shot, things of that nature. I couldn't do this, a lot of the things that a lot of people might expect, you know, so he had to do what he had to do and just make, you know, keep it going. You know, thankfully he did. He took our name around the world. He never forgot me. He still cared about me. He still would reach out. So it was never like, oh, um, you know what, fuck him. He ain't never said that. He ain't never did no shit like that. I mean, there's a lot of people around, but there's only, there's only two MFs, you know? So me and him, we had a plan from jump. Did I ever tell you the one about MF Doom Podcast is a timeless podcast company production. Executive produced by Chantel Barron, Michael Barron, and Eric DJ Eclipse Wynn. Co-produced and mixed by Brett Epic Mazer. Sound design and sound editing by Nick Digler Davila. Research director, Miles J. Barron. Senior creative director, Martin Orton for Poison Pen Graphics. Graphic design director, Shai Harari for H1 Media. Featuring Ben Klingon, Dell of the Hieroglyphics Crew, Dimbaza Dumale, Dingo D of Leaders of the New School, Graham Poopa Maxwell, Jason DeMarco, Just Blaze, Curious George, Cotty, Lionel the Vid Kid Martin, Lord Jamal, Lord Seer, Miles Brown, MF Grimm, Milo from Leaders of the New School, Onyx the Birthstone Kid of KMD, Prince Power Rule, Ralph McDaniels, Talib Kwali, Tanji Dumale, Tom Brown, Wild Child, Yasin Bey, Young Guru. Special thanks to the city of Long Beach, Mark Healy in the Rockaway Wave, Far Rockaway Queens, New York, Brandon G, Tom Wheelie, Ben King, Stephen S. Sidman, Video Music Box. Timeless podcast sound design voiceover, Tembisa Mashaka. Music cues and scoring for this podcast have been provided by Portal. That's P-R-T-L. Music comes in all vibes, so lo-fi should too. Welcome to Portal, the world's first lo-fi music in all genres for all types of music fans. Whether you love hip-hop, reggaeton, country, alt-rock, EDM, or even basso, Portal has lo-fi vibes to match your music tastes. Find Portal on YouTube or Spotify or anywhere you listen to lo-fi. Portal, P-R-T-L, lo-fi for every vibe.